are listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. Well, easily one of the most recognized faces in Hollywood, Ally McBeal, Heaven Can Wait, Out to Sea, Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice, my goodness, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, personally, one of my favorites, Diane Cannon, joins us right now. Happy Easter, Diane. Happy Easter, Drew, to you and everyone else. And now you're down in California, and I just got to ask you what the weather's like. Oh, it's magnificent today. The sky is absolutely periwinkle blue. Maybe periwinkle is a little deeper than it is. It's light <laughs> blue. It's it's not brisk. It's very warm today. It's beautiful. It's just perfect. Well, I I want to know right off the bat before we get into into the heavy stuff here. Did you hear the big news today? Which one? Kobe Bryant. What? Traded. No. What do you think? No. You're dreaming. <laughs> You're dreaming. Uh-uh. No way. She's sharp lady. You can't get anything by this gal. No, not like that. You can't. You might get other things by, but not not about the Lakers. No way. I didn't even have to take a pause no, for that one. No, I know. You didn't miss a beat. Uh-uh. What if Jack Nicholson was traded? Would that be better? That'd be okay. That'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the Lakers, absolutely. Yeah, no. yeah. I'm so proud of our guys. And, you know, there's just there's just an example of God's grace and what prayer can do. Because this year started out so badly for them. Kobe, he wanted to leave. Yeah. He was sincere about that, and I don't blame him for wanting to leave. I don't agree with the way he talked about doing it, but I don't blame him for wanting to to build a better team around him. And now, look, we're, we're in the first place. It's it's a miracle. <laughs> but all, not just a miracle. Since you brought it up, Drew. Oh, no. Yes. We lost in Houston the other night. I know. I saw and that. And he got on a plane yeah. and flew to the next city, landed, and went straight to the gym. Didn't even go to the hotel to unpack. He went to the gym and took some of the other Lakers went with him because he felt his shot was flat. What a work ethic. Wow, that's good. You that, know? That's uh, that's quite rare. What a work ethic. That's why he, he needs to be MVP. Do you miss the big man? No. Okay. We've got another big man, so I don't have to miss him. Okay. But I got the big guy, so I don't have oh, to miss anyone. Oh, listen to you. Do you do many interviews uh, these days? You must get you know, like hundreds a week. Is that how it goes? I don't do many, no. no. I, I get requests. Everyone that lives here does, but... Um, I'm happy to do this one. You saw my picture. You realize just how good looking I, I am. How, well, you are. You're a very cute guy. Stop. Stop. Why? It. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop. But you love the Lord. Yes. And um, and so do I. And so that we, you and I, had a talk not long ago. Mm. Such a good talk. It was great. Made me eager to do another one. Well, good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I want to read to you a bit of a lengthy quote here. And this is going to make you feel a little awkward because I know your humility, but I just need to share this with our listeners. So just bear with me. In an age when most celebrities surround themselves with bodyguards, it's fascinating to watch Diane Cannon interact with strangers. When one woman tells her, my father died and the pain is so bad I can't stand it, Diane simply embraces her and finally prays, 
take away the spirit of mourning. She also hugs a developmentally challenged man in a wheelchair-bound woman, kissing both on the forehead. Diane's prayers sometimes get so intense she stumbles away afterward or even falls to the ground. She's more than just a person who shows up at charity events. I've seen her sit down and talk with street kids for long periods of time. She could just be a celebrity and, uh, and avoid that. But she'll pray for a runaway teenage prostitute in the same way she'll pray for a Hollywood star. I know that's too long to be an epitaph, <laughs> but boy, that speaks volumes. Oh, my goodness. Where did you get that? Somebody, I think, went down to uh, one of your God's parties. Oh, yes, maybe. Uh, we had the L.A. Times and the New York Times, mm -hmm. and we had a lot of people coming there. Well, in the words of Larry King, what what's with the God thing? What happened to you? You're a Jewish person. <laughs> well, Jewish people love God, too. I know. <laughs> he was so funny when he said that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was very nervous about being on that show. Were you? Uh I was. And I and I wasn't going to do it. Why? Uh well, you know, I think Drew, I've always wanted to belong. I think belonging has always been since I was a little girl, my my dad was uh Gentile. My dad was a, was a, was a Christian man, and my mom was Jewish. I wanted them both to love me, and so I was Jewish for mom and Christian for dad. And I just felt a need to belong. And in high school, the Jewish girls didn't let me belong because I went to the biggest Christian school in town. And it was like I was torn all the time, and never really felt like I belonged anywhere. So belonging was very, very important. And when Larry King asked me to come on the show, I'd been doing God's parties for about four years at that time, maybe not quite so long. And I didn't intend to do the healing thing, you know. When I say I didn't intend to do the healing thing, I can't heal a fly. But but God's love is, is what I've come to understand, heals everything and anything. And I didn't want people to think I was weird, so I did have my God's parties, and at my God's parties, at the end of the parties, people would just line up for prayer, and we saw all kinds of healings happen at those parties over a seven-year period. But when Larry King called four years into it, I, he said, I'd like you to come on for an hour, and I'd like to talk about your outreach. And I said, well, no, I don't think so. And... Um, I said, but let me think about it. And I prayed about it, and I thought, well, psychics talk about what they call on, and, and so I'm not ashamed of God, and so I'm going to let it all hang out, and if people want to think I'm weird, which means I don't belong, okay. So I said, okay, but you can't show the, you can't show the prayerful time because I've got to protect the people that come for prayer. That's a private thing. Sure. But what we did do, we did have people come forth that had been healed that talked about it. So I was frightened because I didn't know where he would go with it or what he would do or to what extent he would go. I, I really felt I was sticking my neck out. So I just, <laughs> in that Bible for the days before, I just didn't take my face out. And the first thing he did was say, okay, tell me about that healing thing. Tell me about it. And I, I just laughed and said, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that God loves everybody and God will heal anybody that will receive it. Well, then why aren't you in hospitals all day? Well, because that's not what I've been called to do. And it went on like that, and I talked about God, and I talked about Jesus. 
God's given me a gift to not offend people when I talk about things that they don't believe in. And the next day, one of the high officials in the Israeli government called and asked me if I would come with my staff to visit and tour the country with them and speak with them. Really? Yes. Wow. And um, I couldn't at that time because I was working. I was filming. But I think what that represents to me, Drew, nothing to do with me, but that if the love of God is really in our hearts, that we can talk to anybody about anything and not alienate them. And if we do, then perhaps there's something in them that needs healing, that, that we've touched upon, that, that um, God will heal, you know? Hmm. So that's, in short version, my thoughts about belonging. Now I feel very much that I belong, and yet um, my friends are so diversified. I have friends that, that work in the kitchen and that own it, you know? Are you disappointed? Diane, that your original desire of bringing these, these God's parties to a bunch of other cities didn't happen? No. Now I'm doing other things. And um, I can't reveal them to you yet, but God is taking what I was doing there and he's multiplying it. So it's going to be not just in different cities, but all over the world. Wow. And when I can talk to you about that, I will. But it's like what you do. Where do you? Where does your show go, Drew? Does it is is it in the United States? It covers the Toronto area, and then of course, live on the internet, we have over a hundred countries listening. Isn't that wonderful? Why? Why did you ask that? Well, because I like what you do to be multiplied. Wow. All over the world. Well, thank you. Because love is what's needed more than anything else, more than money. I know that sounds strange in this time where people are screaming about the economy. and But I think that love is the fulfilling of the law. And as the Word of God says, love never fails. It doesn't say, you know, once in a while. It doesn't say it could or it should or it might. It says love never fails. Well, from the things I've read about you, Diane, it, it really seems like you have always, always been desperate for love. Yes. Why? Why so desperate? I don't, I guess because I hadn't reached and understood God's love. Because I was, you know, my dream in life was to be uh, a movie star. In a Western with Robert Redford. <laughs> and to climb that ladder and I just, I loved to act. And I don't know if I really thought I want to be a movie star, but I just wanted to express that acting ability. So that took form in musicals and nightclubs and starring in movies with my name above the title. And the success acted like a band-aid. I can't say I wasn't happy during it. I was because I achieved great success and a lot of money. I had the things that I thought I wanted, which was men, you know, after me and wealth and fame. And those are very seductive things. You know, I just turned down, actually, a tremendous amount of money to star in a movie in Glasgow, in Scotland. Wow. And I'm not patting myself on the back at all. No, no, no. But um, that, that amount of money would have been very nice. And perhaps 20 years ago, I might have done it. But the script so bothered my spirit when I read it that it made me, you know... Nauseous. Wow. And uh, you just you come to a certain place in your growth 
where you say, I, I can't even entertain the thought of it. The thought of it upsets me. So I got off track. How to, oh, so I climbed those ladders that I thought were the ladders that were going to get me to the top. And when I reached the top, meaning the top of my dream, meaning my name above the title and wealth and fame and men of great stature coming after me, I still felt empty. Not ungrateful. There's a difference. But I felt empty. I didn't feel fulfilled. Now, I did for a time, but then it was just blown. Like a sugar rush, you need to eat all that sugar and then crash. And so I tried many things that the world offered to fill myself. I, I tried you know, food. I tried men. I tried drugs. I tried anything that would promise momentary peace or satisfaction, like that great uh, Stone song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Hmm. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. Nothing filled it. Nothing. And I hadn't been without God all this time. Now, you know, let's not say there was no God in it, because there was, but there wasn't enough of me invested in the allness of God. I'd only come to a portion, but I was seeking all through this. I was studying. I studied with a woman the Bible for 34 years, diligently. Is that Lily? That was Lily, the greatest woman I've ever known. Really? The woman of God. Yeah, she raised a dead woman in the swamps of Louisiana. This is no pie-in-the-sky lady. This was a woman who devoted her life to God and the teaching of the Bible, and she saved my life. She really not only saved my life, but but uh, brought my life back to the purpose God intended for it, which is to understand and to know God's love. Would you say that she was the greatest spiritual influence on your life? Oh, absolutely, without a question. Where would Catherine Coleman fit in, in that whole category? Well, Catherine was a teacher, and Catherine was... I didn't know Catherine. I never met Catherine. She was before, before my time. Before, sure, but yeah. she and Amy... You know, I studied diligently. As a matter of fact... Amy Semple McPherson? Amy Semple McPherson, mm-hmm. yeah. Amazing women of their time. You know, Kathy Lee Gifford wrote a, a play on her life. So I understand, yeah. I saw it, and I was incredibly moved. Talk about a messy woman. Yeah. Well, she... That's not the picture I hold of her. No? Uh-uh. No. No, well, um, she wasn't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't call her, you know, functional and prim and proper. I mean, she, you know, God seems to choose the odd ones a lot yeah. of the times. Is that is that too crass to say that? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. I think I think so precise, Drew. I think right on it. I think that's what God does. Because if God could use somebody like me, He could use anyone. Absolutely anyone. But Catherine and. Amy, I love the way they, what they represented to me most was not caring what the masses thought, just plunging in and and uh, not caring if people thought they were weird because that's a big one, you know, if you want to belong. And I think for people that are loving, the last thing we want to be considered is unloving. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. And so you do things to please. But when you go against the popular thought, that's not always pleasant. It doesn't please. No, but the other side of that coin is we're, we're still to speak the truth in love. You know, I think there's two extremes. There's those that run around speaking the truth and forget the love. 
And then there's those that run around just loving, and they miss the truth. Oh, that's so well said. You should write that one down. <laughs> that was good. Man. That made my tummy warm. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, this pursuit of love, I was thinking about, you know, we talked about that just a couple of minutes ago. And just a reminder, folks, we're on the phone with Diane Cannon. This pursuit of love, I mean, it, it took you everywhere to, to good places and bad places in your life. Absolutely. But do you ever think back while you were filming in Greece and, and wonder what would have happened to you had they searched the bottom of your deodorant container and found the marijuana? Oh, well, I was very hooked on marijuana. And I was going to Greece to do a film with Jean-Paul Belmondo and Omar Sharif. And I was working on a film then called, I think, The Love Machine. It was a huge hit. And I was, you know, taking breaks on the set every few minutes to go to the bathroom and smoke marijuana. And I heard before I went to Greece that they were, if they found you with any amount of it, you were they done. threw you in jail in Greece. That yeah. was it. Yeah. So I thought, what can I do? So I was taking apart bottles of deodorant and trying to fill it in the bottom, and I saw what I was doing. I saw, so I actually did not get on the plane with it. But imagine if you'd followed through. Oh, but no, I would, I, you know, it could have, you know, if I if I had followed through and they had found it, I it would have, you know, been I would have been put in jail, and God would have found a way, a way to reach me in there because we're never out of proximity and god gives the gives each one of us the experience that will lead us to him hmm. so for those who who might be in jail listening to this it's never too late it's never too late to turn your life completely around and and, and you know not just talk about love and not just go out and preach love but to feel it I'm not interested if I can't experience it, Drew. What's the longest you've gone without romantic love in your life? Well, for the last 20 years, I've been alone. 20. <laughs> okay, now, I was just about to say, wow, and I thought, oh, maybe that's rude to say that, because there's a surprise factor there. I mean, I you, you are you are Diane Cannon. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you, Drew. I didn't, I didn't have to be alone. I, I didn't. No. But, you know, I've been married uh, twice, mm -hmm. and I've been divorced twice. The first time to to a big star, and the second time to another star in his own right. Both really good men, and both remained friends, but divorced nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop and say, okay, I'm not going to do the Hollywood thing here and have five or six marriages going on. I'm going to stop here, and instead of pointing the finger and saying, what was it that they did wrong? What's going on inside me? What's really going on inside my thinking? Hmm. What am I doing that's not good that I have to own my stinking thinking? Hmm. So the last 20 years, I, I've, I've learned how to turn to God for everything, for everything, for all the love I need, for all the money I need. For the source, as the source of all. I mean, really, not just talking about it. Work, everything. And I lost my dad, my dad, who was 99, almost 100, <laughs> and still picking me up at the airport, driving. An amazing man of God. I lost him in, I didn't lose him. He's, he's in his next chapter, but 
he left us in uh, November. And this man that I've been talking to for a couple months, a sweet, precious man, I'm going to have a talk with him when you and I finish today and tell him why I've not been able to see him for the last two weeks. Because so many people put love in that category of sex. Mm-hmm. When you were on Larry King, though, you did mention that you were ready for a relationship. Well, it's been that long, and it hasn't been. So um, I haven't. I haven't had a relationship in a long time. Is it true that at the beginning of your relationship with Cary Grant that the two of you would would have these great discussions about the content of a radio ministry called the Daily Word? Absolutely. We would get up we would get up in the morning, he would call me at my place in the morning and we would listen to the show together. Really? That's how it started, uh-huh. That's absolutely right. Why does that just seem so bizarre to me? Oh, I don't know because we have visions of people that we conjure up in our head and that, and if what really went on doesn't fit that vision, it seems strange. <laughs> don't wreck a good story with facts. <laughs> But, you know, I'm writing a book about all that now, about uh, all those times with Carrie, and I'm I'm really looking forward to getting that out because it's going to be a goodie. I mean, you started to write that a long time ago. Well, I wrote, uh, what I was writing was different than what I'm writing now. Oh, okay. I had a deal with HarperCollins to write, uh, HarperCollins, who are a publisher, mm-hmm. to write my autobiography. And uh, one of the top writers in Hollywood was helping me with that. He's had eight bestsellers. But after about a year and a half of working on that book, I suddenly went, ooh, ooh, wait a minute. I'm absolutely ready to tell the truth about myself. But in the context of my autobiography, if I told the truth about myself, I had to tell the truth about everybody else. And I didn't feel comfortable with that because that's invading people's privacy. Mm. So I have found a way to do it by just implicating myself. (laughs) And uh, nobody else. So I broke that deal, and I'm still paying them back. (laughs) (laughs) I had a big advance. You have been very classy over the years about how you've spoken or not spoken about Cary Grant. Very admirable. And and yet now, you feel it's time to write about him. When you see the context in which I'm doing it, it won't be different than what you've described. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. No, 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 no. They, they've come to me over the years and offered me fortunes. Actually, Jackie Onassis came to me and wanted me to write my book. And I said, no, I couldn't do that because there were things about Carrie that hadn't been healed yet. She said, well, you don't even have to mention Carrie. I said, yes, I do, because he's been an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. So what's happened over the last 20 years, Drew, and the reason that I now can have a successful relationship is that my heart has been healed, and I find that that's the biggest thing that people need in their lives to be healed. Because we've all been hammered. Let's be real, right? Mm-hmm. We've all had our hearts hammered. We've all been lied to. We've all been disappointed. And we've all lied to and disappointed. <laughs> so it's the healing of that, I think, that enables us to go on in a healthier way. Would you agree with that? So that's what I've been about these last 20 years. It wasn't that I said, okay, now I'm going to be this or now I'm going to be that. I didn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, I didn't say I'm not going to do anything. This is just the way it's unfolded in my life. And And I have wonderful men friends and wonderful women friends. 
But I didn't have any one relationship that I singled out as the relationship in my life. And there's a difference. So that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? (laughs) You're so easy to listen to. Is it true? I always have to ask that because there's so much rubbish out there these days. Is it true that you used to sing Jesus Loves Me on the way to the synagogue? Well, what happened was when my mom and dad married, my dad had no faith, no religion, didn't care about any of that. And my mother, who came here from Russia and was very Jewish and very proud of her heritage, Mm -hmm. married a man who wasn't Jewish and the family, you know, that it, it created a huge thing. As a matter of fact, I've known one friend who, when she married a man who wasn't Jewish, the family considered her dead. Oh, boy. So it's a very serious thing, mm-hmm. you know. But with the promise from my dad that the children would be raised in the Jewish faith, my mother's family agreed. And about three, four years into the marriage, one of my father's ten brothers found Jesus and my father accepted Jesus as his savior and he became a fervent born again guy, you know and he wanted to keep his promise to my mother, but when that fervor takes over, it's hard to do that. So in the meantime, I was being driven to the synagogue a couple times a week And Mom didn't drive them, but Daddy did. So Daddy would drive me. And on the way to the synagogue, we'd sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. (laughs) But when I'd go into the synagogue and sing that for the rabbi... That didn't go over that well. It didn't. It wasn't the most popular growing class. (laughs) And, And then I became very... When my mother found out about it, of course, there was big division in the home. And by then, my brother came along, and that was a whole scene, and... Then I became very fervent about wanting to go live with a rabbi. I've always had a zeal about God. And it didn't matter what direction it came from. I just wanted to know God more. And I asked Mom if I could go live with a rabbi. How'd that go over? No, that didn't go over. (laughs) And Daddy didn't want that. But the rabbi said, fine. (laughs) You know? And, And I'll never forget... One of the questions was in a, it became so distorted that uh, once when they asked me in a quiz at the synagogue why it was important to learn Jewish history, Hmm. my answer was because if you're ever on a quiz show, you can earn a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't always pure, my desire to know more about God. Well, growing up, you were, as we talked about earlier, you were always wanting to please your parents. Do you feel that you've let your mother down in some way, being one of these Jesus people? Oh, no. Jesus was a Jew. Uh-uh. And, and um, I don't feel I've let her down at all. Jesus has taught me about how to have a relationship with God. Hmm. I mean, Jesus is the one that said, I can't of myself do nothing. It's the Father. He does the work. Jesus is the one that said, why callest me good? There's only one good, and that's my Father. Jesus is the one that said, I and my father are one. So he's taught me how to have a relationship with my father. Over 15 years ago, yesterday, on a good Friday, Diane Cannon went to see Benny Hinn. And you told him that you didn't really believe in all this healing stuff. Yes, I did. He brought me up on the stage. I didn't even know he knew I was there. 
and brought me up on the stage and he said, what do you think of all this healing? I said, I don't believe it. I said, but um, if, it's, if it's true, then it's really a wonderful thing. And if it's not true, then it's just about the lowest thing I've ever seen for all these people to be acting about something that's so serious. I said, but I know there's a scripture in the Bible that says, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. So if it's true, I want to know more about it. And uh, I began going to those crusades, and there was a wonderful woman by the name of Joan. Her last name's not coming to me now, but she's amazing. One day she grabbed me and pulled me in the back and said, pray for this man. I said, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? This is a holy thing. Don't ask me to do that. She said, under the authority of God Almighty, I'm asking you to pray for him. I said, under the authority of God Almighty, I'm saying no, fat chance. And she was gone when I said that. And this poor man was standing there waiting for a prayer, so I prayed. And I'll be darned if something didn't happen to him. At the moment, I can't remember what. But I remember that um, this young boy came and asked me to pray for him and took me aside this wasn't at that crusade. This was several crusades later. Sure. It was a crusade where Benny had said, I don't want anyone praying with people before the crusade tonight. Usually he had prayer warriors out in the audience before the crusade started. And so this young boy came up to me with a group of people around him and said, would you pray for me? I said, we can't do that out here. He said, well, can we go in the back? And there was nothing said about doing in the back. It was just in front of the other people. So they took me in the back and... He had been on a bus with some people, and he was about 16 years old, and he'd lost his hearing. And they said, will you pray for him? And I said, well, okay, I'll pray. And um, they had written down, he had written down what he wanted, and then the others that were on the bus that knew him said that he was deaf and he needed prayer. So I started to pray, and I got really scared. And I said, you all stay here. I'll be back in a minute. And I ran out to get Joan. And while I was running to get Joan, I heard in my spirit, this is not about Joan, and this is not about you. Get back there and let me do my thing. I heard it as clearly as you can hear me on this phone right now. So I went back to the young man, and I prayed. And he spoke, and I said, repeat this, and he repeated it. And I almost passed out. I almost passed out. I almost fainted because I saw the power of God's love. And I got so scared. And I said, stay here, don't move. And I ran to get Joan. And when I came back, I couldn't find Joan. So, you know something? Right now, there's an anointing on me, Drew, right now. There's someone listening. There's someone sitting with somebody that can't hear right now. There's somebody listening to your show right now that has someone with them that can't hear. I want that person to lay their hands on that person and let them, I'm telling you, feel the power of God's love. This is a word of knowledge right now, Drew. I'm telling you, someone that is hearing impaired is going to receive their hearing right now if the person with the person that can't hear lays their hands on them and knows that God's love is coming through them. I'm telling you, this is the truth speaking. I've never done this. 
to be obedient. When I came back to that young man, somebody had, was laying their hands off him, and I knew that woman should take her hands off him. And I went up to her and said, take your hands off that young man. I knew it in my spirit. Now they're calling me because the crusade is starting. And I went back out and sat down. They had me in the front row. And I was there, not there two minutes, and that young man who was deaf came up to me and the girl said with him, will you pray for him again? And I said, yes, and I did. And he was one of the young men when Benny called for healings that night to go up on the stage who said, I came here deaf and now I can hear. And I watched that. And I knew that I had nothing to do with it, but that I had gotten myself out of the way. Diane was out of the way enough for God to work through me. And that's what had done the healing. And then the God's parties, I didn't—I never intended to, to do the healing line there. Never. Never, never, never. It just happened. It just unfolded. I, I didn't want to be weird. <laughs> but, it, you know, the power of God's love is so real and so full and so fat and so present so present right here right now there's nothing more real there's nothing that will fill you more there's nothing that will that you can feel more you know it's real it's not just words it's not just holy 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 it's not just kicking up your heels and raising your hands it's it's real it's something that you can experience with god right here right now it's not about weirdness it's about you, what's inside you, and letting that same mind be in you that was in Christ. Really, it's that simple. And it's not fanatical, and it's not weird, and it's not bougie-bougie. It's just, you can feel it, can't you, too? Yeah, no, I can. I mean, look, I... When you and I talked a couple of months ago, you said, you know what, when you kind of feel like it's a good time for me to come on the show, call me back. And I thought about that. I thought, man, how do I... I hope I can discern that one properly. And with Easter coming up, it was either going to be you or Jim Caviezel. You or Jesus. <laughs> sort of. And there is there is something about you that... I mean, you get the enormous concept of grace and love that the majority of us are just getting tastes and whiffs of. And for some reason, God has blown you away with that concept. And it's probably because you've been in such hot pursuit of love your entire life. Yeah, the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, for many people, Diane, the, the hardest thing in the world is to share their faith with family members. What does your daughter, Jennifer, think about all this Jesus stuff? Well, actually, Jennifer has started to go to church with me now. My goodness. Yeah. And she's she's also embracing what's called, uh, you know, other things. But um, I've learned, uh, and I'm learning every day about allowing God's love to heal whatever it is that needs healing. And she's a great girl, and she's a wonderful girl, and she's, she's filled with love. And I just, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful. I'm, I'm doing some things. I'm going to put out some CDs about, I'm eager to reach people that don't know God and don't know, because, you know, religious folks have, have um, well, I won't say religious folks, but, some some religions have frightened people properly. <laughs> sure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I've I've 
I've been turned off many times. I've had preachers, you know, come after me that have been after me sexually. And all kinds of things happen. And me thinking, oh, it must be me. It must be me. You know, what was I doing wrong? Nothing. I was seeking. So were they, but for different things. Yeah. You know? So, look, I'll tell you honestly, and this may offend some, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. I don't want to hear labels. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a scripture. Where is it from, Lord? Help me with that. It says, uh, okay, it's something like, um, when Jesus died, he took with him the whole rule-dominated way of life and left it in the tomb. We're talking about Easter here, right? Mm-hmm. And left it in the tomb, leaving us free to marry a resurrection life. Uh, we're going to give up words like religious and irreligious, Christian and Jew, insider and outsider, uncouth and uncivilized. By now, everyone is included in and identified as Christ. So words like religious and irreligious, Jewish and non-Jewish, insider and outsider, uncouth. I mean, this is the Bible what I'm giving you. This is Bible. I don't care what you call yourself, a Christian, a Jew, a Buddhist, a Muslim. I want to see your works by the love you live in your life, by the anointing. So I don't care about labels. Someone will come up to me and they'll say, he's a great Christian, and I'll say, well, I want to see, because I've known some people that call themselves Christians that didn't act like great Christians, Drew. And the same with Jews, and the same with Buddhists, and the same with blacks, and the same with whites. Do you get my drift? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Christ really came and shattered the exclusive language and made it inclusive. That's right. And as we know, Christ means the anointed one. Hmm. So, And these are Jesus' words, words like, I mean, we're giving those words up. And by now on, everyone is identified as Christ. Christ means the anointing of God's love on your life. I'm I'm letting go of labels because um, I've been been hammered by them. Hmm. Speaking of labels, this is probably a horrible segue here, but I I didn't know you were a singer. Uh Uh-huh. Have you ever sat down in a studio and professionally recorded? Uh Uh-huh. Where do you get these these CDs? Oh, (laughs) Because all I've got so far, really, as far as, you know, hearing you sing, is something like this. Now tell me that's your voice. It is. And who's to say who's right and who is wrong? The, w- <laughs> the wind was something fierce that day. I, I didn't think your hats were going to stay on. Do you remember filming that? <laughs> I do indeed. Honeysuckle Rose. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Willie Nelson sneaks up behind you, and it's quite a song. Yeah. Must be too sad. Well, let me, oh, let me tell you the story of that. Um, We were filming in Texas, and uh, we were supposed to film that scene the next day. And uh, Willie didn't know what song he was going to sing. And Jerry Schatzberg, who was directing, said, okay. I think this was a couple of days before, but he came in that night. Jerry said, you got to write it tomorrow night, and Willie didn't. Came in the next day, and he didn't write it. And 
we were all meeting and everybody was frantic. And he said, I don't know what the idea for the song is. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. So I went to call Lily, my spiritual advisor. I said, Lily, I don't usually call you for things like this, but I need help with this because we need this song. We need it now. And she said, tell me the scene. I said, it's the end of the movie. And he's been off having an affair. And he's come back, and I'm supposed to forgive him. And I don't feel like forgiving him. And what should I do? And and I said, that's the character, but we need a song that will kind of wrap up the whole idea of the film. And she was still for a minute, and she said, okay, here's what it is. There must be two sides to every story. I said, wow, how did, where, where did that come from? Yeah, she that's... said, you know where it came from. I said, okay, thank you. So I walked in the other room, and I went up to Willie, and I said, there must be two sides to every story. And there was a napkin sitting there. And he sat down and in three minutes had written out the words to the song. I still have the napkin. I framed it. Really? He heard the title. That's how God's idea multiplies itself. And uh, that was a song you heard me sing. That's neat. One word. It's sort of a cheesy interview formula thing here, but one word to describe Willie Nelson. Grand. (laughs) Grand. I sang at his picnic that year after the movie. He, he has about 120,000 stoned out of their minds people come to those picnics. <laughs> <laughs> and they just loved my singing. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I think they loved everybody's singing that year. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, speaking of the one word thing, Johnny Carson. Oh, my friend. My friend, who who might have been my husband, but that we didn't go that route. But we were very, very close, and he was a great drummer and used to play drums at my party. Really? Uh-huh. Great drummer. Great drummer. Of all the people who have been on TV, who I remember from time gone by, uh, I think I miss him the most. Oh, he'd love to hear that. He'd love to hear that. Yeah, there was something about him, huh? Well, I mean, what was it? It was uncanny the way he made it about the guest, and yet he was able to inject the humor and a bit of Johnny at the right time, at the right moment, yeah. and there was res- a gift. there was Such class, gift. there was respect, there was, I mean, it was just a complete package. There was, there was never anybody like him. No. And it was so much easier to do his show than the others, because sometimes the others are waiting for a punchline, yeah. some opportunity. But he, you know what? He had a big heart of love. I remember when I went through... Um, my second divorce he knew how difficult that was for me because we had dated in between my first and second and he was the first one to call and say come on taking you to dinner we're going to talk about this Hmm. he was a he was a he had a big heart that's what you that's what you saw Jacqueline Onassis oh she was lovely how would you you describe her one word regal really Uh uh-huh that fits Cary Grant handsome you almost giggled like a little girl there. Yeah, because I was so blown away the first time I saw him. Knocked my socks off. Just, ooh. Yeah. Similar to the feeling you got when you saw my picture on the website? Or something like that? No? Okay. Moving along. Raquel Welch. Oh, Rachel I love her. Raquel yeah, she's Welch. my buddy. We were going to do a show together. It didn't work out, but I love her. I just spoke to her the other day. Do you miss Walter Matha? Oh, what a cutie. As a matter of fact, I'm meeting with his son next week, Are Charlie. You? Are you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I love, love Walter. I don't really miss him because I don't 
think about him, but when I see his his work, I just oh, such an adoration for him. Very rarely will we ever come across a combination like him and Jack Lemmon. Oh, that never happens. No. That so seldom happens. You, my love, I just looked at the time. I'm so sorry. I've got to bring this to a close. Well, so do we. <gasps> I had no idea we'd talk this I know. Long. I know. Uh, my oh, sh- my goodness. My show ends in five minutes. Oh, I, my goodness. I was sitting here thinking, how am I? How do I end it? How do I say <gasps> to Diane Cannon, my, uh, I'm sorry, I have to go? Oh, my gosh. Where did well, that... now, you know something? Yes. I want to tell you that we're going to hear from that person that got a healing today, because I know we did. I hope so. Yeah. I know we did, because that only comes from... From the big guy, and and I I'm I'm surprised I did it, but you know I have to be obedient. Yeah. And Drew, there's just something so special about you. I don't do these interviews, and I never give an hour, not because just because I'm not led to, but that just must be how 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 special you are. Because there's just something about you. There's just something about you. I'm just so grateful people have somebody like you on the air. I'm kind of blushing. Good. <laughs> Diane, if Robert Redford calls you and says, I want you to star in a Western, will you please say yes? I'd have to read the script first. <laughs> Good for you. Ladies and gentlemen, very rarely will I say this because it's overrated and oversaid, but the one and only Diane Cannon. Thank you. God bless you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a gal, huh? What a gal. Well, we uh, completely ran out of racetrack on that one. Pray for her. Uh, I I don't know why. Just do it. (laughs) Anyway, that's the end of the show, folks. Next week, we're going to do a bit of an April 1st, April Fool's special. It's not April 1st, but it's the closest show to April 1st. Victoria Jackson will join us. Do you remember her from Saturday Night Live? (laughs) Another neat lady. The following week... We are going to interview the author of this this book that has become a bit of a phenomenon, The Shack. William P. Young will join us live in studio, and we'll also chat with Brennan Manning on April 5th and announce our winners of our fun little contest, Preacher Idol. Lots of things coming up on The Drew Marshall Show. Go to our website, drewmarshall.ca. All of these interviews and previous ones have been loaded and will be loaded for your listening pleasure. That's it. Enjoy the risen day tomorrow. And if you're new to the country, stay out of the left lane. See ya. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.